You're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. So live albums have been a staple of growing up years for me in rock and roll. And, you know, when we started talking about doing this episode, I was like, this is going to be pretty easy because I don't listen to near as many live rock albums nowadays as I used to, even though there's many, many more live albums, it seems like to me on the market today. This is going to be a fun conversation, and it was really tough for me to whittle it down to albums that were important to me growing up. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. You know, when uh, we talked about doing this episode, I immediately went to my iTunes library. I popped out about 33 albums that I love, whether they're old or new. You know, some are a little bit newer, obviously. And then there's some I wore out as a kid. So then I'm like, well... How do I reduce them? And I just kind of pick the stuff that I listen to the most, whether it's new or old today, right? So mine's going to be a little bit of a mix of both. But uh, live albums was interesting. Like it introduced me to a lot of bands and we'll we'll talk about that today. And it's kind of weird. I was thinking about there was a slew of live albums in the late 70s, early 80s. Then there was a slew of live albums, like from 85 to 88. It ended up connecting you and me to a different era of live albums, which you'll hear about later. I wonder if the record companies kind of knew they were doing that. Like, were they doing, hey, let's do a group every four or five years and try to get the next set of fans? I don't know. Well, I'll give you some insider information on the way record companies thought when it came to live albums back then and how it pertains to the artist today. But we'll talk about all that coming up and how we kind of decided what we were going to choose to play and which records we wanted to spotlight. But before we do all of that, we got to do this. It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. All right, so it's time for the Crank It Up Spotlight. And the Crank It Up Spotlight today comes to you from... Paris Records, our friends over at Paris Records, they always send me great bands to listen to and the bands are very cool and do like show IDs for us and this one is no different. This comes to us from a band called 99 Crimes and it's funny because this is kind of timely for me. I heard about 99 Crimes 
at Rockland, one of the guys I ran into was telling me about it because the guitar player slash lead singer in 99 Crimes is Paul Lydell. Paul Lydell is uh, one of the guitar players in Dangerous Toys today. He said, man, you got to check out this band, 99 Crimes. They're awesome, and they're about to put out their record. They're a trio, so it's a rock and roll trio based out of Austin, Texas. It features, like I already said, Paul Idell of Dangerous Toys. Paul's also played with Dirty Looks and Broken Teeth. He's an awesome guitar player, and it also features Chris Jordan on drums and Jeff Lynn on bass. Uh, and backup vocals, Jeff also sings one of the songs on the record called Avenue. But awesome record. It's a self-titled debut, 99 Crimes. Check out this song. The name of the song is called Blood from a Stone. Hey, this is Paul Lydell from 99 Crimes, and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock podcast with Stephen in Hollywood. Crank that shit up.
All right, so that dude singing is Jason McMaster Jr. He even does a little talking Yelp thing, like, bye-bye, you know, that thing that Jason does that's so engaging in his recordings. This guy is Jr. for sure. Yeah, he's not as quite in the same uh, high uh, registered. He's a little bit more uh, in the mid-range, but yeah, uh, 100%. And uh, great guitar player, great stage presence uh, on stage when I I saw him this uh, a couple of weeks ago, whenever that was. But yeah, I I went through this record. I haven't spent a whole bunch of time with uh, the record, but it's a pretty good record. It's uh, interesting. I'm going to look forward to spending a little bit more time with 99 Crimes. What do you think the 100th crime is? Uh, is my wife listening? I'm hoping my wife's not listening. No, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Nicole. I love you. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Well, on to the main discussion here. <laughs> All right, so we kind of picked our top 10. Uh, You know, it's not exactly our 10 favorite, blah, blah, blah. I guess you could label it as our top 10 favorite today. Uh, As I said, I kind of picked new and old stuff. So my number 10 in this list is Buck Cherry Live and Loud 2009, released on September 29th, 2009. So at this point, Buck Cherry had four studio albums, and they released their first live album. Most of it was recorded in like May of 2009 with a few other Canadian dates kind of thrown in. It was uh, recorded in Edmonton, Canada. You know, the album includes Lit Up, Rescue Me, Sorry, Crazy Bitch, Tired of You, like all the songs you would think, and one of my personal faves, Next to You.
Wanna get next to you Wrote about you baby in this song Wanna get next to you Next to you Better than cool and sweet My buttercup baby's got a pretty face I gotta have it Another bad habit Hope I'm not here to live at this point you know the band's had today 15 members so far so you know josh todd stevie d on guitar and keith mouse on guitar jimmy ashford on bass and xavier muriel on drums if you've never really heard buckcherry music obviously you just heard next to you it's energetic and depending on they're sending a lot of energy from the stage and depending on the energy in the room when you leave a buckcherry show you might want to punch the guy that you're standing next to like that's the kind of energy is kind of infused by their music and their presentation. So uh, if you've never tried Buckcherry Live, you definitely want to go try them out. All right. So for number nine, I picked Night Ranger Live in Japan from 1990. So this one's a tough one to find. Uh, this is not available at your local record store because uh, after five studio albums, Night Ranger finally released a live album. But it was probably a little late in the game. 1990 for Night Ranger, it looks like they just came off two platinum albums and a gold album. And they had released Man in Motion, which was not doing well, although it had some great songs on it. They recorded this album in Japan in 88, sat on it for a little bit. But at this point, the 
lineup is going through a couple of changes now. So it's still got Jack, it's still got Kelly, it's still got Brad, it's still got Jeff Watson, but they lose their keyboard player, Alan Fitzgerald, because Alan's upset that they're about to go. They He felt that Man in Motion was a little more rocking and a little less keyboardy. So they pick up a guy named Jesse Bradman to take over. And then after this live album gets released, uh, Jack Blades goes and joins Damn Yankees. They take a break. They actually replace Jack Blades, move on. Jack Blades comes back, and the rest is history. So I will tell you that Night Ranger at this point was a staple in hard rock for me. They're a staple in hard rock today. I enjoyed the live album. It's got songs like Touch of Madness, Goodbye, Four in the Morning. You Can Still Rock in America. It's got all the songs you would think it should have, 12 songs on the disc. So it's called Night Ranger Live in Japan. And, uh, you know, the California Brothers is my number nine. My number eight is probably going to surprise some people. I do that sometimes, but it is The Doors in Concert that was released in May of 91. And, you know, you might be thinking, Hollywood, you're a Doors fan? And I got to tell you, yes, I am. I mean, there is there is something about the music plus Morrison's voice plus the ambiance created by the emotion. It just connects with me. I was introduced to The Doors by Billy Idol doing L.A. Woman. I thought he had written the song, then I heard he didn't, and I'm like, oh, that's somebody else's song, and then that's when I kind of went backwards, and I got that uh, Doors in Concert CD, probably my second Doors CD, and I wore it out. The live album is recorded somewhere between 68 and 70 from a bunch of different shows. The producer, Paul Rothschild, actually said he had to make over 2,000 edits on the album to make it sound right. And sometimes you had to connect different shows together to make a song work out right. So I'm not exactly sure if it was, you know, Morrison was kind of known for kind of doing his own thing and make a song last 15, 18 minutes. So then you got to cut it back, et cetera. 25 tracks. It's got all the hits you would think. Break on through, light my fire, roadhouse blues, love me two times, all the stuff. And believe it or not, door, the doors have 28 live or archived albums. So you, and this is very findable. It's one of their popular uh, double CDs. So you definitely want to check out the doors in concert. And that was my number eight. What's your thought about those three? Uh, the buck cherry live. I didn't know existed and obviously have never heard any of it. I love buck cherry, but I only know the studio records. I uh, didn't keep up with, uh, the live recordings or anything. I love next to you. So great tune. Uh, the Night Ranger live in Japan. Now, this was not the Night Ranger live in Japan that MTV televised because I think that was Seven Wishes tour that they did. Wasn't that live in Japan as well? Uh, I don't. Maybe. Maybe. This is off the Man in Motion tour. So, yeah, yeah much, it's possible, I guess. Much later. I have, you know what? In one of my tucked away VHS cassettes, I have a... Night Ranger live broadcast on MTV, and it was Night Ranger live in Japan. And I'm 98% sure it was Seven Wishes tour, but I may be wrong about that. It may have been the um, Midnight Madness tour. Illegally recorded, by the way, I'm sure. So that is a bootleg copy. Well, no, I, I recorded it off of TV. I mean, you yeah, know, that's you, bootleg. Oh, whatever. <laughs> bootleg to me is standing there with a video camera taping the stupid show back then. Bootleg recording off of MTV. That's not bootleg. I don't know. Anyway, I think I had that tucked away somewhere in the doors in concert. Yeah. 
to your point, there's many, many, many doors concert recordings out there available for you to check out and listen to. I don't have this. The only Doors record I have is the double greatest hits that's got so many amazing tunes on it. And uh, just like uh, you said, it was a shocker to me several episodes back to find out you're a Doors fan because I would have never, I would have never guessed that. I mean, you just don't strike me uh, as a Doors fan from everything that I know about your musical taste. So that's very cool. I mean, it was the movie that got me into the Doors, so uh, dig it. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. Sunday night, February 26th at Rump Arena. Bon Jovi. The music is back. Bon Jovi with special guests. Skid Row. Reserve seats now at the box office. Ticketmaster, including disc jockey and all the usual outlets. Charge at 233-3535 or 1-800-525-5900. Sunday night, February 26th. New Jersey, the Brotherhood Tour. Bon Jovi. Presented by MZV and produced by Sunshine Promotions. So uh, that brings me to my first three selections. So the way that I approached this live albums episode was essentially, it wasn't necessarily my favorite live albums or our top, my top 10 live albums or any of that stuff. What it was more about, even though that's the title of the episode, whatever, but it was more about the albums the live albums for me growing up as a kid that were really important to me that turned me on to a lot of songs or artists that maybe I didn't know a whole lot about. And they got like tons of love from me growing up. Like I played the shit out of these records. And so those are the albums that hit home with me and made my list. And it was really, really tough. When I started whittling this down, I mean, I was pulling stuff out and putting it off to the side and popping stuff in. And I was like, well, but I really love this record. Well, no, I really love this record. So I'm going to probably mention the ones that made my top 10 list, but then I'm going to talk about a handful of other records that were important to me as well. But I'm going to start at number 10 with MSG Live at the Budokan. I didn't know anything about Michael Schenker or UFO at all. In fact, I don't even think I knew at this time that Michael Schenker was once in the Scorpions. I just didn't know much about him. The way I found out about Michael Schenker, like a lot of my stuff, was through Krang Magazine. I read an article, and then I went to the local record store, and they had this um, import cassette. And the import cassettes were always shittily packaged, meaning that they had like loose cellophane on them and And it just wasn't, they weren't packaged really well. And they were always a little bit more expensive, but the MSG was a long live at Budokan 
cassette, and it might have even been a double cassette if I remember correctly. I'm not 100% sure about that. I put that on and I was an instant uh, Michael Schenker fan. I love this record. So many great songs on it. And here's one that hits home with me on and on. This is also the number we're going to do off the new album that's coming out soon. Number called On and On.
All right, so uh, this record was released in 1982. This had Gary Barton on it. He was the singer with Michael Schenker at the time. And it's just start to finish. To me, it's a fantastic record. The playing is great on it. Uh, I love this record. And then that leads me to my number nine record. My number nine record, and I talked about it on a previous episode. We did a whole Saxon feature. And The Eagle Is Landed was my gateway into Saxon. Uh, This record was amazing for me. This was the first record that I had picked up. It was recorded during the European leg of the world tour supporting the Denim and Leather album that Saxon had released in 82. Uh, Reached number five on the UK charts. Just a really, I didn't know a ton about Saxon. And so this was essentially sort of a greatest hits record for me and After I wore the shit out of this cassette out, I went and purchased Denim and Leather and purchased Strong Arm of the Law and was an instant Saxon fan from that point on. Uh, You know, my friend Hollywood there, he's not a huge Saxon fan. That's okay. We like what we like, but that record was really important to me growing up uh, as well. And then that brings me to number eight, Dawkins Beast in the East, the original Beast in the East uh, from Dokken. I think they recently released a, uh, what, Return to the East or something like that was the name of the latest record that they had done. Uh, But this record was recorded in Japan in April of 88. It was the tour supporting uh, their last, I guess, original lineup uh, back for the attack. Uh, record. Of course, they kind of broke up after this record, but amazing record. This has a really good set list to it. Uh, Unchain the Night, Tooth and Nail, Dream Warriors, Kiss of Death. You know, just a really good mixture to me of those first three records. And then it had the, it had a couple of uh, new tunes on it, or at least one new tune. I think that Walk Away song was a, a new studio track from them. But I ended up giving this record quite a bit of love uh, back in the day. I was already a, a Dawkins fan, so this was just uh, another record for me to purchase. And I think uh, especially because they had broken up, this was kind of my last grasp at, at Dawkins uh, because I had just had those first three records. So that was an important record as well. What do you think about those three records there, buddy? Uh, so MSG, I not heard that record that many times i i got into shanker kind of in the macaulay shanker era uh which mm-hmm. is probably a little soft for you know scorpions fans and etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh, uh when i heard this song and listened to a couple other tracks it's a great album so i probably need to go get it because i don't have this album uh saxon wise the eagle has not landed in the hollywood neighborhood so we'll just skip that one <laughs> doc and beast in the east absolute classic it could have easily ended up on my list too i wore that thing out because back for the attack is one of my desert island albums and this kind of ends up being a theme on a couple of the ones we're talking about it's like they release this great album this great live album and then all of a sudden they're not together anymore like it's kind of weird but uh, uh no that's a classic 
Yeah, and I'm super psyched about later in May, I'm going to see Michael Schenker, whatever they're calling it, where he's got Graham Bonnet and uh, Gary Barton and Robin McCauley on tour with him. That's going to be the first time that I ever have the opportunity to see uh, Michael Schenker live. So I'm very excited about that show. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so my number seven comes from a band that I absolutely love, House of Lords. Still around, still releasing great music. They released a live album called Live in the UK in January of 2007. They had five studio albums at this point that spanned from about like 88 to 2006. They've been through a bunch of lineup changes. It's the only live album they've ever had. And it was a, a reunion of the first House of Lords CD lineup minus Greg Jufria. So for whatever reason, Greg didn't want to be involved. Got 12 killer tracks. Can't Find My Way Home, I Want to Be Loved, Edge of Your Life, Sahara. It's got one studio track called Havana, but one of my personal favorites on this album is Pleasure Palace.
Now, this album was recorded in November of 2005. It didn't get released, obviously, till about 13 months later in England. What's interesting is, so I'm like in search for who the keyboardist was, because there's obviously keyboards in the recording. Well, either they sampled all that stuff and put in backing tracks, or they didn't want to give the guy credit, because I have the hard copy, and I still can't figure out who the keyboardist is. So... <laughs> I don't know if that's a Jufria, you're not going to tell somebody who that is, or nobody's going to play my parts. I have no clue. All I know is House of Lords is still around, and they're currently a Frontiers band, and they're around and chugging, so check them out if you get an opportunity. My number six comes from one of my favorites, Jeff Scott Soto, and what can be said, uh, Jeff is awesome live if you've not been able to catch him and he's hard one to catch right so you're gonna have to so either gonna be like sons of apollo or off date here and there with him solo or on a monsters of cruise type of thing he has tons of live albums with different bands but there's one called jeff scott soto live at the gods 2002 that was released in 2003 and this is one of his first solo live albums at this point, the band is Gary Shutt, which we've talked about before, the crazy Highway Simon, who we kept running to on the Monsters of Rock Cruise and other places, and uh, the drummer's Alex Papa. Album's got 15 live tracks, one studio song. The studio song's awesome, by the way. And the live tracks has two awesome medleys, and one of the medleys is a Ingve Malmsteen medley of Ingve Malmsteen Jeff Scott Soto songs, and Howie absolutely rips on the guitar. To where if you didn't know who Howie was, you would want to go find out because like, who is playing that guitar? So I remember when I first saw Jeff live, I'm like, Howie, dude, you guys going to be able to pull off this Momstein stuff? And I remember hearing it live going, yes, this is so awesome. I get Ingve without the Ingve. This is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so if you ever get a chance to see Jeff live, he loves doing medleys. And sometimes he'll do a disco one and sometimes he'll do one of his greatest hits or so if you have any interest, uh, check it out, Live at the Gods 2002. It's an awesome, awesome CD. And then my number five, right? It would be my number five? Yeah, my number five is Ozzy Osbourne's Tribute uh, released in March of 87. So if you are about my age or maybe even a little younger, 86, 87, 88, oh my God, Ozzy was all over the place. And when this album hit, Crazy Train went off the rails, pardon my pun, it was on MTV every three minutes to where if you weren't into Ozzy, you would have to at least go figure out who the hell is this guy. And I didn't know a ton about it until this tribute album came out. So this is really where I was introduced to Randy Rhodes. I had no idea who Randy Rhodes was. I saw pictures in magazines, but still couldn't really connect. Um, the album went to number six on Billboard 200. Uh, the majority of the album is recorded in 81, so six years before it gets released in Cleveland with some live snippets coming from some other stuff. Most of the recording are the classic four, which is Ozzy, Randy, Rudy, and Tommy. There's some others, whether um, Randy's involved or not, we're not positive, but I think all of it's Randy, but that's kind of been up for debate. The tracks have Mr. Crowley, Flying High Again, Suicide Solution, Iron Man, Paranoid, all the uh, Sabbath hits you would want, all the Ozzy hits you would want. And I was not honestly the biggest Ozzy fan until this album hit. And it made me search for older albums. It got me into Black Sabbath. It got me into Quiet Riot, Randy Rhodes years, 
like it opened up a lot of doors for me and uh, it's still an album I listen to every once in a while. And it's definitely, you know, kind of in my iTunes uh, classic library. So what do you think about my five, six and seven? Uh, so your five, six and seven house of Lords live in the UK. I am a house of Lords fan. Did not know this record existed. Uh, again, house of Lords kind of one of those bands that I have, uh, some of the studio records, but really don't, didn't follow them uh, enough to know there were live records or have listened to the live records. So I didn't know a whole lot about that one. Jeff Scott Soto. Yeah, I definitely was sure there must be something out there like this, but of course I've never heard it. Uh, I'm not the Jeff Scott Soto fan that you are. So I like Jeff and his projects and listen to his uh, studio projects, but don't follow him to the extent that you do. And then Ozzy Osbourne tribute. So the Ozzy Osbourne tribute plays into my number seven pick. And we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, The Ozzy Osbourne tribute I thought was great from a standpoint of you really, I didn't have a whole lot of stuff with Randy Rhodes. So the crazy train video that you talked about, that may have been the first footage that, and, you know, call it what it is, but uh, that may be the first footage that I ever seen with Randy because, I mean, I don't, was YouTube around at that point in time? No. I, I didn't think so. I mean, so there wasn't a whole lot of, of footage out there of Randy. So being able to see Randy, that was incredible. And being able to hear Randy's playing live was incredible. So I thought that was very cool. But... That wasn't the live album for me, for Ozzy. The live album for me leads into my number seven pick, which is Ozzy Osbourne's Speak of the Devil. Now, this is one of those records that I know there's a lot of fans out there that absolutely can't stand this record. But here's why this this record was particularly important to me. Uh, This record, when it came out, I knew Ozzy Osbourne, Diary of Madman, Blizzard of Oz. That was my only connection with Ozzy. I didn't know a whole lot about Sabbath. Obviously, I knew who they were. Obviously, I knew Paranoid and I knew Iron Man. But I wasn't the hugest Sabbath fan at that point in time of my high school years. So... When Speak of the Devil came out, that was literally a gateway for me into the older Sabbath material.
So you just heard one song that turned me on to the older Sabbath symptoms of the universe. And that was the first song on the record. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, hell yeah. I got to start digging into more Sabbath and went back and started discovering all this Sabbath. And that record has a lot of great stuff on it. I mean, the tunes on that record, Symptoms of the Universe, Snowblind, War Pigs, Fairies Wear Boots, Never Say Die, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Love the Iron Man into the Children of the Grave uh, live version. You know, so that was also my introduction to Brad Gillis. And, you know, Brad was coming out and was pretty new in Night Ranger. And I think uh, they talked about Brad having both this record and Night Ranger's Dawn Patrol on the charts at the same time. So that was a big thing for him. And, you know, it's just it was an important record to me. And I still go back to it today. There's some good pieces of information if you uh, go and read Rudy Sarzo's Off the Rails book. He talks a lot about the decision to record this record and why he did or didn't like some of the stuff in the record. I think he said he screwed up Paranoid real bad in the recording. And it's a pretty live record. They didn't do a whole lot of overdubs and changing things. And uh, he talks about that a little bit. But... That's why Ozzy's Speak of the Devil is number seven for me. Going from the Ozzy thing, I also dug out Black Sabbath's Live Evil, which had Dio on it. And that was another great live record for me that helped me discover Heaven and Hell and um, Mob Rules a little bit more and you know, caused me to go out and dig into those and learn who Dio was and learn more about that stuff. So... Uh, those records were important to me, and the live records were where it started with me. Go into my number six pick, Aerosmith, Live Bootleg. I don't think there's a cooler picture on the face of the earth than Joe Perry's back to the camera, standing out, looking over. I think that picture was taken from the 78 Texas Jam with the guitar Uh, hanging off his back and he's got the cool ass blonde streak in his hair. I mean, that picture uh, exemplifies rock star to me. I mean, (laughs) that, that picture on that record is just so kick ass. I would love to have a poster of that. But this record, uh, Live Bootleg, again, I knew who Aerosmith was. I had a lot of Aerosmith, but this introduced me to a lot of the stuff that I did not know about. You know, it was taken from different concerts from 77, 78, 73. Uh, Mother Popcorn recorded from a live performance in Boston from 73. This record has so many cool things on it. And this was, to me, Aerosmith at their heyday, right? It's got stuff from Toys in the Attic in here. It's got stuff from Rocks in here. It's just a great set list. Double live record. Such a great record. And then that goes from that to Judas Priest Unleashing the East. Sonny, have you noticed that uh, it's kind of a theme for bands to record live albums in Japan? Yeah, I think the crowd interaction is just completely different than it is in the U.S., (laughs) 
<laughs> Most definitely, uh, a lot of bands like to record in Asia uh, because the fans, they love their rock and roll over there in Asia. Uh, it's kind of cool. But this record, I was a huge Priest fan at the time that I discovered Unleashed in the East. And what Unleashed in the East did for me is kind of introduced me to all that really early Judas Priest, like way before British Steel, stuff like that. So, you know, you had stuff on here from Stained Class and uh, Sin After Sin and Sad Wings of Destiny and stuff like that. And I didn't really know any of that stuff. At the point that I discovered this record, my only reference was, you know, British Steel, Point of Entry, Screaming for Vengeance, those three records, my, my, uh, my trilogies. So this opened the door for me to go back and discover, and boy, am I glad I did. Stuff like Tyrant and uh, Genocide and Green Man Alishi and The Ripper. I mean, just an amazing, amazing record. And then they did the re-release of it and added some extra stuff uh, on there, Hellbent for Leather, and um, I think Delivering the Goods uh, got added, some stuff like that. But that was an amazing record as well, so... Just kick ass from start to finish, man. Love, love, love Ozzy Aerosmith and Judas Priest live records. Yeah, so Ozzy, I mean, he has a bunch of live records. And Speak of the Devil could have easily ended up on my list instead of Tribute. I just listened to Tribute a lot more. Um, so that that one's a classic. Uh, that Black Sabbath record, I've actually never heard, so I probably need to go check that one out. Aerosmith live bootleg. I'm not the biggest Aerosmith fan, and I've seen them live twice. They played with a couple of folks that I had to go see them because they were playing with them. I think it was a Kiss show one time and maybe a Dawkins show one time. And I know I'm going to get hate mail for this, but they've just never really impressed me live. I, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not into Aerosmith that much. I like the hits, um, but that's probably about it. So I probably don't understand Aerosmith as well as maybe some of uh, my compadres. And then Unleashed in the East, I kind of bucket Judas Priest in the three buckets. It's before Screaming, Screaming to like, I don't know, end of 2000, and then the new stuff I consider the last maybe 20 years. I'm kind of into the middle stuff more than I am into the early and late stuff. So Priest was definitely something that I got into in the 80s and went back a little bit. But as soon as I got a little bit older than Screaming, I kind of lost interest a little bit. So, But that being said... I have this album and I've listened to it and I like it. So it's definitely a classic. There's no doubt. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word. G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right. So Grown Ups of the Week. These are the folks that shared us on Facebook, retweeted us on Twitter, and I'm even going to start adding recently liked our Facebook page. So please, if you haven't yet, please go to our Facebook page at Grown Up Rock and just give us a like. Um, we got over a thousand likes now, which is awesome. And uh, we'd like to invite more people into our community. So those folks are Mark Arnold, Jared Frank, Mike Taylor, Trace Mess 469, Brad Rustoven, Booker Official, Marcelo Verzi, Rodney Dixon, Barry G. Player, Chris James A. Now, the reason I always say A is because I always mess up his last name, but he connected with me the other day, which was just outstanding because it made me feel so good. He said he didn't really know anything about YNT and me peddling YNT over and over and over and over. 
made him go buy Earthshaker, Mean Streak, and Black Tiger, and he absolutely loves the albums. So that's one of the major reasons Stephen and I do a podcast was to offer up this music to folks that maybe people have never heard. And uh, Chris, thank you so much for your kind words. Stanley Lives For You, Andrew Block, The Maz, Aaron Sheppa, Steve Wright, Rick Frio, Peter Harris, Retro Mixtape, Carrie Morgan, Shouted Out Loudcast, great guys. Uh, they've been really good to us, and uh, they got a great show over there. Daryl Alber, Chris Dio, HairnetRadio.com, Janet Eck, Casey Powell, Chris Dax, Rob Alanis, Music Palace Radio, Patrick Lusado, Eladio, Cobras and Fire Podcast, Jason Bluesky, Veronica of Divide, Rock Doc Wayne, Jeff Reed, Liliana Lunita, Keith Morash, Backstage Auctions, Ronnie Casshole, Craig Osborne, Maria G, Iris Day, Digital Killed Radio Star, Michelle Ortiz, Kurt Coolidge, Chris Fretwell, Lady Lake PR, Dave Hudson, uh, David Zanet, he's our new friend from Italy, welcome, uh, Tony Masalam, Jason Kearney, Paul Young, Ogata, Brian Knapp, Jody Havnot, Scott Liefer, Stoney Deardiff, Dee Price, Courtney Cronendold, Stevie Good, Queen of Noise, Billy Forever Rocks, Mike Parnell, Michael Langdon 2, Derek Tyree, Jim Harris, Decibel Geek, Dwayne Adams, Alexander Ford, West Dove, Nicole Beard, Spitfire, Bill Algy, Dan Nation, Tom Gugliotti, Steffi, Chris Sinzak, Greg Gonzalez, Bella Lowe's 1966, Jake Lovelace, Entertaining Art, Teresa Anger, Alan Tate, Connie Kreider Harris, Peter Cessary, Bill Elam, Twisted Music City Rock Videos, Rush Family Journeys, Save Rock and Metal, Jason Alexander, Oasis Mountain, David Cathy, Bossung, Q Nuevo Media, Daniela Carr, David Clegg, Mr. Happy Nash, uh, that's a great name, uh, Doug Metal, Robert Armstrong, Andy LaFon, Mark Winder 8, I Love It Loudcast, Kalen Provo, Ages of Rock Podcast, Tesla Shared Us, which was great, and uh, Restrained, thank you for all the bumper music. And they are in the studio right now writing some new music and recording it. So we will be looking forward to that soon. Yeah, that's awesome. And so in addition also to all the great stuff that Sonny just shared with you guys, uh, we get people that will go to the website at growinguprock.com. That's G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. And they will leave messages uh, on various different episodes and stuff. And uh, we recently released uh, Frank Hannon uh, from Tesla episode where I did an interview and Sonny and I went through some of our favorite Tesla songs. And this one comes to us from Eric. And he left a message said, great interview and list of songs. Have been a longtime Tesla fan, first discovering them with Modern Day Cowboy and Little Susie so many years ago. Uh, what I think I liked most about this was so many of the newer songs. I'm not sure uh, how in touch the fans are with these albums, and I must be one of those seven fans. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Break a Dawn or his favorite album is Into the Now and wish they would play the entire album live. Thanks for bringing a bunch of songs to light uh, that only us deep Tesla fans would know. That's what Sonny and I love to do because everybody knows Modern Day Cowboy. So we think that they're still putting out great music today. You just got to go and look for it. And there are some gems on those newer records. And so that's what we did. We played some of the newer stuff. Uh, he also added funny side story. Uh, I'm 13 years older than my wife. 
Uh, she didn't even know who Tesla was until we got married and, of course, used what you got as the first dance. I, I think he meant what you give uh, as the first <laughs> dance. Two months later, Tesla came within two hours of us, so I bought tickets for the two of us to attend. I, I then burned all the music, everything including Simplicity, to a single DVD, uh, and I think he meant CD, <laughs> to, to a single CD uh, to put in the car. She drove around for the next two months listening to Be Ready for the Show. She had no idea which album uh, was their first or their last. She now is a huge Tesla fan and always wonders why they leave so many songs out of their show from the later albums. She doesn't have the context that the older fans know the first three albums best. I love this woman. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good woman. Good for you, Eric. So I thought that was a nice note to leave, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it when the, uh, the listeners connect. Yeah, absolutely. That's what it's all about for us is turning people on to music that you may not have heard or bands you never heard of. And then if you have heard of them, uh, we're not going to play uh, the same three songs that radio plays. We're going to dig into some deeper stuff and let you discover some of that. So there you go. They're hot. They're real hot. They're blowing smoke. They're on fire. The hottest rock and roll band in America. The 1984 World Tour. Van Halen. Live. Roanoke Civic Center, Saturday, February 4th at 8 p.m. All right. So before we jump back into our top picks, Sonny, do you do you kind of know why bands put out live albums in the late 70s and 80s? Why the record companies pushed the bands to put out records? Do you know what the purpose of that was? The only thing I can think of is it's a moneymaker with low cost. You already have the recordings and uh, it's uh, like a stopgap from one album to the next. It is. It was kind of a win-win for both uh, the bands and the record labels. So like you said, the record labels were able to put out essentially sort of greatest hits records and take advantage of that with little or no marketing. The songs were already written, et cetera, et cetera. They had maybe some live recording cost involved in that and some maybe mix down cost involved in that. But other than that, that's uh, why it was a benefit to the record labels. Why it was a benefit to a lot of the artists was that artists would use live albums to deliver to the record company as a way to satisfy what they owed the record label. So in other words, if a band signed a contract for four albums that they had to deliver to the record companies. A lot of times they would record three studio albums and in an effort to get to the end of their contract with the record labels so they could renegotiate a new contract, either with a new record label or that very same record label, they would deliver them a final album 
as a live album and then their contract was fulfilled. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. So that was a that was a big plus for both uh, the record labels and the artist at the time uh, of the late 70s and 80s. Nowadays, I think bands use live albums as more or less just promotional tools, and it's easy for them because a lot of these uh, bands are do-it-yourself type bands, and there's not necessarily record companies involved, just distributors. So it's an easy way for them to get a record out and not tie up a whole bunch of cost in writing and recording and things like that. You know, one of the newer live albums for me that I thought was amazing standout that just recently got put out was that um, Dead Daisies live record a, a year or two ago. I uh, thought sounded amazing. It was a good record. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. All right, so let's go to our top four. So my number four was Iron Maiden Live After Death and uh, got released on my birthday in 85, So, uh, which is October 14th for those that don't know and haven't sent me gifts. Um, so <laughs> now October 84 is kind of my entry point into buying uh, physical product. And between 84 and 90, I am going nutso in – uh, finding music, getting attached to older stuff, uh, being captivated by album art. And I remember seeing the album art on this thing going, what the hell is that? And uh, somebody at the record store goes, oh, that just came out today. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'll be getting it on the first day. So it's possible this was my first Maiden album. I can't quite remember, but it could have been my first Maiden album. And I remember playing the hell out of this thing album went platinum and went number 19 on the u.s billboard 200 the vhs the dvd has gone platinum they've had re-releases after re-release this i mean this album is considered one of the best live albums possibly ever at this point the lineup is bruce dave adrian steve and nico brain so they got the classic lineup uh double lp it's a combination of like four dates from October 84 and four dates from like March 85. And the tracks include Aces High, Trooper, Number of the Beast, Hallow uh, Be Thy Name. Uh, they released two singles, which were on MTV as videos, Run to the Hill, Running Free. Um, so it's just incredible album. If you don't have Live After Death, it needs to be in part of your collection. My number three, we talked about Judas Priest before, and I kind of said I'm in that middle range. Uh, I actually picked an album called Live from June of 87. And my entry point for Priest is Turbo. And, you know, because I'm getting into Priest like 85, 86, right? So I enjoy a lot of Priest. I'm not a super fan like you are uh, by any means. This live album is our second live album, obviously, after the one you talked about. Went gold, went number 38 on the charts, um, and primarily was recorded in June of 86 at the Omni in Atlanta and at the Reunion Arena in uh, Dallas. And at this point, the lineup is Halford, KK, Tipton, Ian Hill, and then Dave Holland. 15 tracks, Heading Out to the Highway, Free Will Burning, Living After Midnight, Got Nothing Coming. But one of my classic faves has always been Electric Eye.
All right, so my number two, oh, here comes the hate mail, uh, is Van Halen's right here, right now. So this is kind of a weird time in Van Halen. Sammy's not loving singing the Van Halen, David Lee Roth era songs. They got to give some props to the Sammy solo stuff because he had had hits and it was bringing fans. They're in about to implode because it's 1993. There's all this stuff going on. All that being said, I love Sammy and I love Van Halen. And Van Halen's always been considered a killer live band, but this was their first live album. And um, at this point, they already have plenty of multi-platinum albums. They had three with Sammy so far. They're the biggest band on the planet. This release went, you know, number five on the charts. It was double platinum. Um, what's interesting, though, is most of the recordings are taken from May 92 over this two-night span in Fresno, but Sammy, in an interview, said this. The problem was they re-recorded almost the entire live album because Eddie was out of tune or Al had sped up or slowed down. They fixed everything, only now that Eddie was playing in tune, I'm singing off-key, and where, where Al has sped up in runaround, now I'm singing ahead of the beat. So I had to go back into the studio, redo all my vocals. I wanted to kill those guys. They put me in a room with a video of the concert, gave me the microphone, and I stood there, and the whole song was a fucking concert one time through with nobody in the room, and it was just like a live performance. So he had to, Sammy had to go back and re-record all that stuff, you know, and we found out they were doing a lot of that for live albums. I really don't care. I think it sounds great. There's 24 songs on it, and uh, I wore this CD out. The next five, six years after 93, it's a little rough for Van Halen. So um, so what do you think about my numbers two, three, and four? <laughs> How fun would it have been to be the engineer in there with just you and Sammy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sammy's pretending to sing live as you're just sitting there in a the room. It's just weird. I imagine he wasn't in a great mood, so it probably wasn't real fun company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be a rock star what are you gonna do yeah. uh so listen iron maiden live after death we're gonna talk about that that plays into my top uh, uh five picks and um uh, i'll just leave it at this it's a it's a seminal live record you gotta own it uh, Judas Priest Live, I don't think I own this record. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, it, it started with Unleashed in the East was my Judas Priest Live record. I'm a huge Priest fan, so I love all this stuff. I'm sure this record's great. I just don't own it. 
So yeah, it is what it is. Van Halen right here, right now. That Now that was uh, Van Halen's first live record, right? Yeah, I think they only have two. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was a huge fan of the four unlawful carnal knowledge record, or as it's affectionately known, the fuck record. Uh, love that record. And this had a lot of that live on it. Uh, you know, it's a good live record. I just didn't wear it out because, you know, I've said it before. I'm much more of a David Lee Roth, Van Halen fan, but it took a while. And, you know, now I like both versions of the band. They're just different bands to me. I don't classify it as Van Halen. It's Van Halen is David Lee Roth and Van Hagar is Sammy and uh, the Van Halen brothers. So, both versions are cool in their own way, but uh, for me growing up, it was all about the David Lee Roth era. But the live record was good. So, yeah, I mean, I'm all, all right with uh, all three of those choices. They would, uh, they would end up in my uh, cassette deck at some point, I'm sure. All right. So that leads me on to my number four, three, and two picks. Number four. This was a huge record. I was already a Scorpions fan at the time, and they were at the height of their popularity. It, it, was, it was crazy time for the Scorpions at this point in time, but they put out their first double live record um, with the newer material, right? They had Tokyo Tapes, which was about their earlier career, uh, which I... I didn't particularly love. I don't love a lot of the really, really early Scorpion stuff. Uh, Scorpions for me started right around Love Drive. Uh, so Love Drive, Animal Magnetism, Blackout. I came in at Blackout, went back, discovered Animal Magnetism and Love Drive, and then picked up the ball and ran with it. So loved Love at First Sting, and that was what this tour was. Uh, record was recorded in April of 84, uh, so right before I graduated. That was a huge rock and roll period of time for me. Uh, recorded at the Sports Arena in San Diego, the Forum in Los Angeles, the Amphitheater in Costa Mesa, Paris, France, and then finishing up in Cologne, West Germany, which was HQ for the Scorpions. And uh, just a really great, solid record of music, both new and old. You had uh, classics like Blackout and, um, you know, Another Piece of Meat and Dynamite, stuff like that, that I loved so much. But then you had some of the newer stuff like Coming Home and Bad Boys Running Wild and, you know, just a really great record from start to finish love this record double live i had the vinyl of this record i think when uh when it first came out uh so yep that for sure falls in at number four for me then i went from number four to kind of a small live album but nonetheless a very important live album acdc's first live album October of 78, If You Want Blood, You Got It. God, I played the shit out of this record. This record is so damn good from start to finish, from the opening riffs of Riff Raff to the end with The Rocker. 
This record was amazing to me. Already an ACDC fan, but this record gave me something that I didn't have a ton of at the time, which was older ACDC. Uh, you know, I came into ACDC almost at the same time with both uh, Highway to Hell and Back in Black. So it was almost simultaneously with me with those two records. That's kind of where I came in. And so I only knew a little bit of Bond and a little bit of Brian, but I wanted to go back and discover more of the Bond stuff. So this record was the perfect place for me to start with that. And I used to go to this uh, midnight showing. They had this uh, movie that they used to show at uh, midnight, um, Let There Be Rock concert and it had some behind the scenes footage and all that stuff i don't know if anybody out there remembers that but uh went to that quite a bit the live uh concert documentary thing back in uh the 80s and they used to show it at midnight at this movie theater that uh, i grew up around so uh, that was cool for me uh, and then you heard uh, uh my friend sonny already mentioned it i already told you it's a seminal live record. You gotta own Iron Maiden's Live After Death. Two minutes to
love, love, love Two Minutes to Midnight. Sounds so good on that record. Just kick ass from start to finish. Uh, I saw this tour. Sonny, did you see this tour? Uh, no. I got in my first uh, Iron Maiden Live is Somewhere in Time tour. So quick story about the Iron Maiden Power Slave Tour. I snuck in backstage to the arena that they were playing at, snuck my way on stage with fake laminates and helped Nico McBrain drum tech set up his drums. <laughs> wow. <laughs> True story. <laughs> True story. And then ended up on the barrier for uh, the opening act was Wasp on the first record. So I got Wasp and Iron Maiden on the Power Slave Tour helped set up Nico McBrain's drum kit. Pretty cool. Yeah, that is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> Ought to be a resourceful, uh, what, 16-year-old kid? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're number two, three, four. I'll skip Scorpions for a sec. The ACDC thing, I'm actually just in the middle of kind of going back. So ACDC, kind of like I described Aerosmith, I, I've always been kind of a hits fan. But now that I've really met you and met some other folks and been listening to some Bon Scott ACDC, I am really getting into ACDC. So I'm still in kind of the middle of my discovery phase with some of these live albums. So getting into it. And then we already talked about Iron Maiden. So getting to my number one, the reason I skipped talking about Scorpions Worldwide Live is because that is my number one. And for me, Love It First Thing is... The quintessential me listening to a tape in Miss Isom's 10th grade English class and not paying attention to a single word she's saying because I've got my earpiece into my cassette deck and I'm listening to Love It First Thing. So MTV totally brainwashed me into the Scorpions and that is one of my favorite albums of all time, first of all. And uh, I got knee deep into the Scorpions at that point. I also don't really like anything before Love Drive. I can't get into it. But that Love Drive, Animal Magnetism, Blackout, Love at First Thing, and this live album, and even Savage Amusement to a point, I was all over Scorpions at that point. So this worldwide live, I bought it on tape. And man, I wore it out, I think, twice to where I had to, later on in life, get it in CD. So I stopped wearing it out. And thank God for digital technology, so I'd never really have to buy it again. But uh, one of my all-time favorites, absolute must-own uh, live CD, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind. So that's my number one. That's a damn good number one, my friend. Kick ass and uh, could have been number one on my list as well, but just fell a few short in terms of what was important to me. So that leads me to my number one. My number one, I have vivid, vivid, vivid recollections of going to sleep at night with my headphones on, listening to this record numerous, numerous times, more times than I care to ever mention. And, you know, over the years, Rush has released tons of live stuff. There are tons of live records out there with Rush. And for a lot of the old school fans, it usually falls to one of the two live records, which is All the World's a Stage or Exit Stage Left. And it depends on where you came in with the band. For me, I came into Rush uh, on moving pictures and then went backwards. 
And the record that was important for me getting into Rush was moving pictures, but the record that was important to me becoming an absolute Rush fanatic was All the World's a Stage. I got this record and it introduced me to 2112 and all the earlier stuff. Uh, by Tour the Snow Dog and, and Lakeside Park and all these amazing tunes. And they recorded it live in, in Canada. And just such a great record. <laughs> I put a post out there to, um, I think, uh, one of the groups called Rush Family and just asked, which is it for you? Is it all the world's a stage or exit stage left? And it really honestly was split down the middle. Uh, and people were rampant about it. You know, uh, a lot of people think exit stage left is the better recording. I like the rawness of rush. I'm a bigger fan of the rock and roll rush versus the progressive rush. I love both, but I love songs like Anthem and, and, um, uh, Bastille day and stuff like that. I mean, those are, those are just amazing, uh, kick-ass rock and roll tunes. And so, uh, that's what I gravitated towards and all the world's a stage just opened up the door to all that stuff for me, uh, becoming a huge rush fan. So that's my number one. That's the one that meant the most to me when I was a kid growing up. That's the one I probably overall spent the most amount of time with. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest rush fan. I know a few songs It's just, uh, the music's just too smart for me. I, they obviously are absolutely talented, but they get into that prog side that I just never really got into. And I, maybe I'm labeling it wrong as prog and long songs and very musicianshipy type stuff has never really connected with me unless it's got this incredible melodic vocal and Getty's voice at times just didn't set, set well with me. But they're obviously talented, so it's a great number one. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it before. I knew going in that you were never the hugest Rush fan, and that's okay. It's, you know, it's all about what means what to who. So what are some of the other live albums for you? Because there were a handful of live albums that I had to leave off the list, but could have easily been on uh, my list at any point in time. It was just a matter of what gets left off. And so what were some of the live records for you that didn't didn't get mentioned? Yeah, so, you know, obviously we didn't talk about any of the KISS live records. Any of those could have made it. We didn't talk about any of the Y&T live records. There's tons of Y&T live records. Uh, if you want to give one a chance, uh, give it. Uh, give Open Fire Live a chance. That's, that's a great one. Um, there's a couple of great Striper live records. Probably my favorite one is Live at the Whiskey, which is a little bit newer. And then the one off the beaten path a little bit is uh, Momstein's Trial by Fire Live in Leningrad. That Ingve at his absolute best with Jolyn Turner on vocals. I mean, that live album sounds absolutely outstanding. So those were the guys that kind of stayed outside of my top 10 today. Yeah. So let me ask you, I got to ask because the fans are going to want to know, the listeners are going to want to know, Mr. Kiss, what is it for you? What's what's your top uh, Kiss live record? Is it uh, the original or is it two or is it even three? Yeah, mine goes in the exact order they were re released. One, two, three, and four. Okay, fair with enough. Unplug, with Unplug being the best. 
Yeah, I know a lot of people love three. I've heard a lot of love for uh, Kiss Alive three lately. Yeah, you know, because it's Bruce, right? So yep. it's the only really live recording we have of Bruce doing some classic songs. But, you know, I love Bruce. Bruce is an absolute talented guitar player. And just as I've said that Tommy, no matter how great he is, and he's a talented guitar player, he just doesn't do the Bruce parts justice. He just can't do it like Bruce. Bruce has never been really been able to do Ace. Yeah, And it, it's a t- completely different style. And when I hear a classic 70s Kiss song, I have to have the Slopalicious Ace solo. That, <laughs> Slopalicious. It, it can't be this perfect speed thing. Like, it yeah. just doesn't fit to me. Love that term. Yeah, for me, the ones that got left off my list. So you heard me mention the Dead Daisies live record that they released a couple years back. Live and Loud, I think, is the name of it. That's a great sounding record. Uh, I encourage people to go check out that Dead Daisies record. If you don't know much about the Dead Daisies, that's a good entry point into the band. And then for me, I went back and forth between Kiss Alive 1 and Kiss Alive 2. But I think at the end of the day, I probably spent more time with Kiss Alive 2. Both are amazing records. Kiss Alive 2, I just recall that gatefold. And it has I Stole Your Love on it. And that's kick ass for me plus it's got the four uh new songs uh on side four so that's cool uh so i think uh kiss alive too i really like quite a bit one that doesn't probably a lot of people don't know about is the band raven i caught into raven roughly about the same time i got into metallica and i like raven quite a bit and they released this double live record called live inferno and it's a really good record Uh, So I would encourage you to check out the band Raven. If you're just a flat out heavy metal fan, new wave of British heavy metal, check out Raven uh, Live Inferno. It's a great record. And then we talk about Canada bands and Rush always tops that list, but I don't think Triumph gets enough love. And they released a double live record called Stages. And Triumph is a kick-ass rock and roll band, man. Uh, I would get Triumph Stages for nothing else alone. Uh, Spellbound and Follow Your Heart, I think, are two amazing songs on that. But you also get shit like uh, Rock and Roll Machine and um, Lay It on the Line and Fight the Good Fight. I mean, it's just a great live record. Triumph Stages, kick-ass live rock and roll. Those three records could have easily been on my list at any point in time. It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. All right, so for the historic moment, we could have picked any one of the four Alive albums. We could have picked Unplugged, um, and there's a various couple of others. But I wanted to go with Fraley's Comet Live Plus One. So there was an EP released February 2nd, 1988. The record company was trying to uh, build off the momentum of the first Fraley's Comet album, which Kiss fans had been waiting for for like five years after Fraley had left Kiss. They were wondering, you know, is Ace going to come out with something solo? Peter, when he left, came out with like three or four right out of the gate, but we haven't heard anything from Ace. Ace was busy experiencing other things in his life. We'll leave it at that. But the momentum, they didn't want to wait until Second Sighting came out, so... 
the record company releases this EP. EP's got four songs on it live, and then one song that is a studio track called Words Are Not Enough, which is great. The four live tracks, they did a great job. They picked a Kiss song, they picked an Ace solo song, and then they picked two songs that Todd sang off of Fraley's Comet. So they purposely kind of put together almost a little history of who Ace was. And uh, kick-ass songs, but I got to say, my favorite on it is this one, Rip It Out.
Yeah, so that was an interesting selection. I, I would have never expected you to pick something like that, but very cool. Love that song. How can you not? Rip it out. It's a classic. Very cool. Yeah, it's something about, uh, man, Todd Live. God, I hope Return to the Comet takes off because I really would love for those guys to go out and do like a 20, 30 day tour and hit some of the big cities. That would be outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, that's pretty much it. But before we uh, bring this whole thing to a close, are there any uh, live concerts that you have plans for uh, in the upcoming months? Uh, yeah, so well, I'm finally going to end up seeing the Rating Rock Vault, so that that's going to be really cool. Let's see, uh, Loverboy is coming to Summerfest, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, cool. You know, it's not rock, but I'm going to see Lionel Richie and Jennifer Lopez, too, just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> um, I was going to see Ozzy, but he canceled, so we'll see who uh, replaces Ozzy. I'm missing something. I got, oh, I'm going to, uh, by the time this comes out, I would have just done, uh, got done seeing Sammy Hagar close to my house in California and uh, looking forward to that. Um, with uh, Don Felder opening, by the way. Um, so, uh, yeah, I I think I have tickets to a couple other things, but I just can't pinpoint them right now. Yeah, so let's see. For me, next uh, week, which by the time this comes out, that'll be beyond, but I got tickets to Whitesnake at an awesome little intimate amphitheater here in town, so that'll be killer. Uh, I've got tickets to Michael Schenkerfest, which I'm excited about. I talked about that a little bit earlier. I'm going to try and solidify tickets for my lovely wife to uh, Rob Thomas because she's a huge Rob Thomas fan, and he's quite good live. Uh, so that's a little bit off the hard rock path. It's a, Okay, it's a lot of bit off the hard rock path. <laughs> Not as far as Lionel Richie. That's true. At least Rob Thomas is still rock and roll. But yeah, definitely uh, not as far as Lionel Richie and uh, Jennifer Lopez. Uh, what else do I got tickets? Well, I'm going to for sure be in, going to see uh, Iron Maiden in July. Uh, I will not miss that show. That's going to be an amazing tour, an amazing show. So that's on my list. I'm going to finally see Slipknot this year, but only because I'll be working, not because I'm buying tickets, because really, to be honest, that's not my thing at all. But I am curious just to see it. I know a lot of people love Slipknot, but yeah, not not my bag of uh, tricks. Uh, what else is going on? I think that's all that I got. Uh, Blackstone Cherry's coming. I may check out that show depending on what else is happening. Oh, and I may be seeing Glenn Hughes in the upcoming weeks. So I'm kind of excited about seeing that. That might be kind of fun. And then they just announced recently, so uh, Dio Hologram is coming. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about that because that's perfect. Are you... uh, is it coming to your neck of the woods? And if it is, do you have any interest in going? Will you go see Dio Hologram? Yeah, so it is coming to Wisconsin uh, at a theater in Milwaukee. Uh, tickets are 55 bucks in like the floor, bottom row. Then there's a second row in the theater is 45 and the third row is 35. I am very, very curious. And, you know, I know people are split vote on this thing about, you know, hologram this, hologram that. What I've been asking the question to people is, 
Oni and Ripper are going to be there. So if Oni and Ripper were going out as Dio's disciples and this thing was touring as Dio's disciples, would you pay 55, 45 bucks to go see them? And if that's a yes, then the hologram's free to you. So go check it out. Agreed 100%, and that's kind of how I looked at it. But the bonus for me, and the ticket prices, by the way, are pretty much in line with Atlanta. In fact, they're exactly the same as you just laid out. $55 for general admission floor, uh, and then 45 and 35 and it's a small venue. Uh, it's at the same venue that Rocklanta happened in the center stage, so it's a great place to see a band. But if Dio with Ripper and Oni were going out and they were playing, uh, it would be nice if they were playing like Friday or Saturday night, but unfortunately it's not here in Atlanta. I would totally go. But the bonus and the cherry on top for me is that Love Hate is opening up, which is awesome for me uh, because I haven't seen Love Hate in years. And uh, it's essentially, it's Jizzy Pearl's Love Hate. So that's good enough for me. He was basically the main guy anyway. So I'm um, 100% sold. I'll 98.9% sure that I'll be getting tickets to that and going to see that. Uh, Craig Goldie is an amazing guitar player as well. So uh, well worth the price of admission and the hologram thing is just a kind of an interesting bonus. But I think Baco nailed it uh, the other day. Uh, he said his suspicions are that you'll get Oni and Ripper and the band doing 95% of the concert. And then there you're going to get the hologram on We Rock at the end and maybe the hologram on, like I said, like a Sabbath or a rainbow tune somewhere maybe in the middle. But that'll be about it. Or uh, I was thinking like split versus uh, one and two, like split versus one and two, right? So Ripper goes into last in line. He does the first verse, but then when the second verse pops up, the hologram comes in. I, I don't think it's going to be that intricate. I don't. I don't know I, about that. Yeah, I I would be surprised if it's that intricate. I think you got the blueprint already, uh, which is they did. You saw uh, the hologram do we rock uh, when they uh, unveiled it in uh, Europe, and I think so. I I think that there's not going to be a whole lot of improvements to that. I think what you saw is what you're going to get, and you're going to get that, and maybe one, maybe two other tunes, but it's going to be. Uh, uh, Ripper and Oni uh, doing the rest of the stuff. Yeah, I'm very curious, mainly because it opens it up to Prince and Hendrix and, you know, some of the stuff that we're never going to see again unless somebody comes up with some sort of technology that makes it worth it. Now, the prices have got to stay somewhere between regular you know, show prices, and I'm not talking like Kiss and Van Halen regular. I'm talking in the 50 range yep. down to like a movie ticket in the 17 range. Like it's got to be somewhere in there because you're basically supplying a live action movie here. So it can't get too crazy. Like I'm not paying 100 bucks to go see this. Yeah, uh, well, 100% agreed, and I think that uh, this is very important pivotal time in live rock and roll because I think that this is the dipping of the toes in the water to see what's happening. You bet your ass that there are a lot of people watching this 
and seeing what happens and how it progresses and how it's felt because there comes a time where none of the people that are emotionally attached to any of this shit is going to be involved. So here's my point. 30 years from now, or let's, let's say 50 years from now, let's make it uh, 50 years from now when none of us are around, right? Guys my age, 50 and older. 50 years from now when none of us are around, there are going to be people out there that want to see Van Halen live that want to see Dio live, that want to see Ozzy live, that want to see ACDC live. And obviously, none of those people are going to be out there. So you have two choices. You can have these uh, factions of essentially tribute bands where there are no original guys, but they're using the name. So you got Kiss 4.0 touring the world where it's, you know, (laughs) nobody original, right? It's just mask. Or you got holograms that are doing the show or a combination of both. Maybe, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of unanswered questions and there are a lot of possibilities. And right now it's split down the middle because you got people that are emotionally attached to Dio that have seen him live and knew his music. People like myself that are attached to it and you know, we're torn between it where is it sacrilegious? Is it uh, money grab? Is it this? Is it that? But 50 years from now, you're going to have none of those people. And all they want to do is be entertained. <laughs> and so that's just a new way they can be entertained. So is it a viable option? Listen, we could talk about this shit for the next two hours, but I think we've we've uh, touched on it and we probably should end this uh, live episode and move on our our way. You agree? I agree with you. All right. So, hey, thanks to everybody that has been listening to the show. Thanks to all the new listeners that we've picked up over the course of the last uh, three or four months. We appreciate each and every one of you. We hope you guys are digging the stuff we're playing for you and the conversations we are having. Please feel free to chime in on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Growing Up Rock or hit us up at the website at growinguprock.com, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. And, you know, touch base with us. Let us know what you're thinking. Let us know some of the new bands you're listening to, how you feel about the Dio hologram, what your favorite live records are, whatever it is. But we would really, really appreciate it if you would hop over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. That would definitely help us out. And if that's just too difficult for you or you're not an Apple user, please feel free to pop over to podchaser.com and leave us a five-star review or just a five-star rating. All that stuff helps us out and uh, grows our numbers and just gives us credibility, and we appreciate it. Thank you. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
time you're such a psycho Looking better than a body has the right to Don't you know we're playing with the fire And we can't stop this burning desire Here we go again Is it ever cold enough? Here we go again I see your lips and I wonder who's been kissing them I never knew how badly I was But when we touch, we never have to fake it, Leah. Here we go again. Is it ever cold enough? Here we go again. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like. And leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.